for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can find the program there. Uh, especially really had a nice string of uh, guests on the the past few weeks. So uh, I'd encourage you to go to either the audio vault at WFMD.com or, like I said, go to Apple Podcast and uh, re-listen and share uh, some of those conversations. Uh, Really insightful, informative, educational, just like today's going to be. We have a good program planned for you today. Got some top stories, some economic data, some of the things that went on with the Federal Reserve this week. And then joining me in just a little bit, a friend of the program, Greg Zuckerman. He's a special writer at the Wall Street Journal where he writes about business, uh, economics, investing topics, etc. He's a three-time winner of the Gerald Loeb Award, which is the highest honor in business journalism, by the way. Uh, And and like I said, he's a friend of the program. He's been on before uh, a handful of times. So he's going to be coming on and talking about his latest work, which is titled A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. So you'll find out exactly how this all played out, who was involved, by the way, a lot of people that uh, nobody knew about. Uh, So all that's coming up. So stay tuned for that. A pretty sizable deal this week that we saw, Coca-Cola has acquired full control of Body Armor. That's a line of sports performance and hydration drinks, if you haven't heard of them before. This was a $5.6 billion cash deal. So uh, Coca-Cola took a 15% stake in Body Armor back in 2018. This just actually helps them to retain and uh, take uh, hold of the other 85% of uh, Body Armor, making it the largest brand acquisition to date, by the way. So uh, Body Armor is valued at about $8 billion, according to the Wall Street Journal. Um, Under the agreement, Body Armor will be managed as a separate business with Coca-Cola North America's operating unit. Um, Their uh, co-founder and chairman, Mike Rapole, uh, he said that he couldn't be more excited to become part of the Coca-Cola family and set their sights on the future. So um, this is something that's really going to heat up the beverage wars when it comes to body armor versus Gatorade. Uh, This is going to be interesting. This guy that founded body armor previously founded vitamin water, smart water, parent, Glossia, which is also now owned by Coca-Cola So, um, you know, you see these big companies really adding to their stable of various uh, products. And like I said, this is going to be just a great war to watch, Body Armor versus Pepsi's Gatorade. Um, You're talking about billions of dollars uh, in retail sales. So uh, all that um, is yet to come. We'll keep an eye on it for you. Uh, Something that we've talked about for months and months, actually years on the program, but especially the last uh, year, Um, you know, we're grappling with sky high oil and gas prices. And unfortunately, 
the reaction to that from the current administration is to literally ask OPEC to help out America instead of the administration going directly to our producers here in the United States. And I know you can't make this stuff up, but this is exactly what's going on. So um, will they is the big question. Biden hopes to get an answer on the ask very soon. Uh, He actually commented, or I should say he answered a question about this topic at the uh, climate summit that the United Nations uh, put on that dog and pony show. But um, Biden said, uh, you know, if you take a look at gas prices and you take a look at oil prices, this is a consequence of thus far the refusal of Russia or the OPEC nations to pump more oil. And we'll see what happens on that score sooner than later. So flat out, he goes to Russia, he goes to the OPEC uh, cartel and others and says, please, come on, you guys, can you please pump some more oil to bring down prices? Because, you know, we're getting a lot of pushback here in the United States and it's not good for us politically. So can you guys create more energy? And of course, their answer was go pound sand. We're not going to up our production. They checked it at right where it is. It's not going to increase Um, oil prices. They're loving it. They want them to go higher. Um, This, of course, is a forced transfer of wealth from the United States to Russia, OPEC and others. This makes no sense whatsoever. Just the opposite of what we achieved the prior four years. Just the opposite. And of course, I don't I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure, you know, everybody I talk to is is uh, really grinding their teeth while they're standing there filling up their vehicle with gas or diesel fuel or even gas for their lawnmowers, anything. And that's just the energy right where we heard the Energy Information Administration warn us that the cost of heating oil is expected to go up 43 percent. Well, guess what? We're seeing below uh, freezing temperatures, right? That's going to impact a lot of people. Propane, a rise of 54%. Natural gas to increase by 30%. So even though Klain, the uh, chief of staff and one of the puppeteers behind Biden, uh, retweeted out, that inflation is only for the high class. It only impacts them, which is the stupidest, one of the stupidest things that you could ever imagine somebody to write. Because, of course, poor people don't have to fill their gas tanks. Poor people don't have to heat their homes. Poor people don't have to go to the grocery store when we see food up tremendously, the cost and and lack of. Anyway, uh, that's where we are. The OPEC in uh, Russia said no, 
And that's uh, what we need to focus on. Uh, Gun sales in 2021 are close to being higher than any year but one so far. And we've only got, of course, less than two months to go. Over 1.4 million background checks were carried out by the FBI for gun sales in October, according to an analysis of uh, bureau figures by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So uh, background checks for gun sales continue to be strong and steadily uh, rising according to the uh, Director of Public Affairs for the foundation. Uh, The annual total gun permits completed year-to-date is nearly 15.2 million. The total in 2016 was 15.7 million. So that's why I mentioned we're probably going to end up uh, with the second uh, highest year for gun sales. Uh, Experts say the jumping gun sales... Uh, is stemming in part from people's fear of rising crime. Uh, We know that that, unfortunately, is going to get worse because of the uh, weak prosecutors and um, courts out there that are letting people go, uh, literally just letting them go, and then they uh, reoffend and create additional crimes, sometimes sometimes as as severe as murder, Uh, but rape, burglary, you know, you name it. Um, and it's also important to let people know, uh, in case you don't, that the highest, uh, segment as far as new purchases is from ladies. So, uh, a lot of women out there realize that if they aren't going to be protected by the, uh, courts and the legal system, they're going to protect themselves. So they're doing the background checks. They're purchasing their weapons. They are being uh, properly trained in self-defense and self-preservation. And they're going to do what's necessary, hopefully. And by the way, there are so many of these stories that go unreported where both men and women foil home invasions, carjackings, um, just, uh, you know, someone being, um, attacked at a gas station, you name it. There are so many of these stories that it doesn't end well for the bad guy or the bad girl because these people are armed and skilled and they're not going to be taken advantage of and importantly, not going to be harmed or killed. So um, but of course, the news won't talk about any of that because that's the positive side of um, responsible gun ownership. And they'll have no that's not in their narrative. But I encourage you uh, to look into it. It, It's uh, it's amazing. You can follow um, various organizations on social media that uh, let you know and tell you these stories Um, And they're very encouraging and just a lot of brave people, especially, like I said, when the ladies take out some creep uh, who's just there to um, serve himself and to cause harm. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see just how strong the year ends up with, as I mentioned, uh, less than uh, two months to go. And then we heard from Larry Kudlow this week. He's a former uh, senior economic advisor for President Trump. And he provided insight into Biden's tax plan, arguing that it will have a very negative impact on who? The middle class. 
who, of course, they say they champion for, which is not true because just look at the inflation. That's who it hurts the most. Uh, well, not even the middle class, but the lower income and those on fixed incomes, uh, poor, the people that are poor but still have to eat and get around, right? So they're paying these higher prices. That's impacting them directly. Single moms, I mean, you name it. That's that's who inflation hurts and who these taxes are going to hurt, apparently. And uh, Larry Kudlow said that anytime you're raising taxes on corporations, and this is a very good point, and that includes small businesses as well as large businesses, you're impacting the middle class. That work has been done for years, according to the CBO and the Joint Tax Committee, the Tax Foundation, etc. 70% of business taxes are borne by the blue-collar middle class, and you'll see it in lower real wages, lower employment, and lower family incomes. They're the ones that pay the taxes. So um, very similar to some quotes recently by Elon Musk, who is one of the wealthiest people in the whole world, a multi-multi-billionaire, saying, look, you guys, meaning the government, you can take all of our money, take 100% of it, this, this ultra-wealthy that they talk about, and you're not going to have enough to pay for all of this spending that you're trying to uh, cram through without it being scored, by the way, so we don't know what it's really going to cost over a five- and ten-year period of time. That's why they want to do it in the dark of night, right? Just like when they fly illegals around the country and they don't tell people and they're landing places they shouldn't be landing. They're not letting local authorities know about it. Um, All that is is just a, you know, a future vote set up for them. No two ways about it. They can call it whatever they want, but they're a bunch of uh, liars and cheaters, and this is how they operate. And that's why, again, that uh, ridiculous saying, we've got to pass it so we know what's in it, that mentality for passing legislation. Well, this is going to not only impact us now, this is a huge drag on our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Very, very sad. So um, it's something that's going to be watched closely for sure. Uh, And we're going to continue to dissect it, even with this latest plan. I guess, what are they on their third try? Plan C now. Um, A tremendous amount of waste, a tremendous amount of money for the wealthy on the uh, East Coast and West Coast for those states. Uh, Bailout for the media. Um, And it's got a carryover. If you don't use it one year, you can use it another year. I mean, you can't. This stuff is so bad that it's not even funny. Uh, What else isn't funny? Inflation. Uh, And our latest white paper, Inflation in Your Retirement, are you prepared for these rising costs that are just ravaging people's uh, finances? Uh, Talks about the shrinking power of a dollar. It's got those key takeaways in there for you and the average inflation rates compared to where we are right now. And it just begs the question, are your finances properly set up, especially if you're close to retirement or in retirement? Was that included in your plan? Um, That's something that we look at very, very closely. A lot of people don't. Uh, They just talk about these overall concepts. But when you do the real math, which is necessary, you see just uh, how violent 
inflation can be. And uh, we want to make sure that we help you with that. So go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. And right on the home page, you just click on the button. It's an instant download. goes right to your email. And I hope you enjoy it. Solo maintenance, don't need no champagne, poppin' entertainment. Take her to Wendy's, can't keep her off me. She wanna dip me like them fries in a frosty. But- Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcast and you can uh, listen to the program. Excuse me. Uh, As far as economic data this week, quite a bit of it. Uh, We saw uh, a a number of reports come out. One showed that U.S. construction spending unexpectedly fell in the month of December, according to the Commerce Department at the beginning of the week. They showed that construction spending dropped half of a percent. Uh, Economists that were polled by Reuters had forecast uh, construction spending actually gaining four-tenths of a percent. So obviously a big miss there. Uh, So that caught people's attention. Then we also saw some of the reports from ISM, the Institute for Supply Management. We saw the first one um, showing that the manufacturing index – was up to 61.1 in uh, released in early October. So it actually dropped a little bit by the end of the month to 60.8. So growing, but cooled a little bit. Uh, the employment sub-index, meanwhile, registered just 52. So that continues to be an issue there. Then you look at the ISM services sector, uh, that was very, uh, very strong, actually a record high in the month of October. The ISM said that uh, their service sector came in at a reading of 66.7 last month. That's the highest since they started keeping track back in 1997. Uh, pretty simple, opening the economy, people getting rid of um, the, the oversight, if you will, or the overreach uh, of government restrictions and just living their lives uh, getting back to normal, um, and we see that because of uh, all of the activity in the service sector, which accounts for about two-thirds of our economy these days. It used to be a service-based economy. That's not the case anymore. We're service-based. Uh, it used to be manufacturing, excuse me. Now we're uh, service-based. So um, on top of that, we got a lot of uh, jobs numbers this week, unemployment We saw uh, for initial jobless claims, um, the unemployment insurance numbers came in at 269,000 first-time followers last week. week. So um, continuing claims, which means people were receiving some type of a a benefit through traditional uh, state programs, 2.1 million still on the dole there. Um, so things are improving, but we still have a long way to go to get back to the wonderful economy. Organic, by the way, not um, 
spurred on by all this government spending and uh, free paychecks. Uh, Also this week, we got the ADP report, which showed that 571,000 jobs were added in the month of October. That was more than expected. And then the big number uh, came out yesterday, actually showing that uh, 531,000 jobs were created, according to the Labor Department. Uh, Also, the unemployment rate went down uh, two-tenths of a percent. So that was seen as uh, as very good. Uh, once again, the gains, leisure and hospitality. That's, you know, where we we saw a, a big, big gain there. 164,000 jobs. Um, food services, drinking places, up 119,000. Um, accommodation, 23,000. Professional business services, 100,000. Um, so, you know, that's, like I said, the economy opening up, but more so people opening the economy back up and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to travel. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend money and, uh, just leave me, leave me be, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of what was going on for sure. What wasn't good was the labor participation rate because, um, that actually held steady at 616 so that's still 1.7% uh, or 1.7 percentage points, I should say, below February of 2020 before all the nonsense started. Um, so in any event, uh, pretty good jobs numbers. Still a lot. You know, we have a lot to do. Like I said, people just like look at the way things are now and they get conditioned as opposed to uh, what we had before, what we need to get back to. So uh, we'll keep that uh, in front of us for sure. The Federal Reserve had a two-day meeting this week. No big surprise. They announced plans to uh, slow down their tapering or to taper their spending, I should say, um, which simply means that, you know, every month the Federal Reserve has been has been spending $120 billion buying Treasury bonds, mortgage-backed securities and the like. So they said, look, starting this month, we're going to reduce that by $15 billion, and we're just going to spend $105 billion. And then there's also uh, a plan to reduce asset purchases by another $15 billion in December. This is very important because this is um, a big cause of our inflationary uh, problems. So if not only can we get them to stop spending money, but can we please get them to adjust interest rates accordingly to combat inflation, even if it causes a little bit of pain? Now, I'm just saying that into, you know, might as well just be yelling into outer space because Jerome Powell's trying to get reappointed, even though I don't think he's going to. Um, so the Fed has become even more political than what it was prior to the virus and prior to uh, this new administration. So uh, it's just what we have to deal with. Um, I really feel bad. Again, inflation is uh, is just terrible right now. Uh, they tried to treat you like, you know, a mushroom, keep you in the dark, covered in you know what, by using fancy words like transitory. Well, guess what? I looked it up this week again just to make sure. And Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary definition of transitory is of brief duration not persistent, um, tending to pass away. Well, 
this has been going on for months, and it's not going anywhere. You know, I mentioned about uh, oil being over $80 and the administration groveling to Russia and OPEC and others to please pump more oil, and they said no. Uh, Bank of America analysts are calling for that $120 a barrel by the middle of next year. I don't know if that's true or not, if that'll happen, but just the thought of it. Can you imagine the the damage that it's going to do to businesses and families and individuals? That's immediate. This isn't some stupid uh, policy that they're passing that's going to eat away at us slowly. This is something that, again, everybody's dealing with. That's why we have our latest uh, white paper available for you. Complimentary download. It's inflation in your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Are your finances uh, structured properly, your retirement plan? Uh, making sure that you're taking this into consideration. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, and right there on the home page, you just click the button. It's an instant download, and um, it's, uh, it's something I think you'll really uh, appreciate. And um, it's got solid information for you, and I hope it's helpful because that's why we do it. When we come back, we'll be talking with my guest, Mr. Gregory Zuckerman. He is a special writer at the Wall Street Journal. Um, He writes on business, economics, investing. You've seen him on TV and in the papers. Uh, He's a friend of the program. He's been on, I think, three or four times. And uh, we're going to be talking about his latest journalistic work, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for the COVID-19 vaccine. This is really interesting. You're going to love it. As far as Operation Warp Speed, a lot of what we know about, but also a lot of the things that we don't or didn't know about. Stay tuned. A cold beer's got 12 ounces. A good truck's got maybe 300,000. You only get so much until it's gone. This is 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Now, WFMD News. More ballots were counted on. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and, of course, at uh, as a podcast at Apple Podcasts. And um, as I mentioned right before the break, we were going to be diving into our conversation this morning. Uh, my guest is a friend of the program. He's been on uh, roughly a handful of times before. Uh, Greg Zuckerman, he's a special writer at the Wall Street Journal where he writes about business, uh, economic issues, investing uh, topics. He's a three-time win- winner of the uh, Gerald Loeb Award. That's the highest honor in business journalism. So uh, very accomplished. And you know how I feel about journalists. It's a very overused term these days because so many, um, they really aren't journalists. They're uh, pundits almost uh, as far as I'm concerned. And I see that firsthand uh, when I'm out and about and uh, in those circles. So I love having Greg on. Uh, he's written uh, a brand new book, called A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race 
for a COVID-19 vaccine. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Hey, great to be here. Nice to speak to you again. Greg. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking time. I know you're busy. You got a lot of good things going on because of this new book that you uh, wrote. Really important um, that I think that we have this conversation for all of our listeners um, in the Mid-Atlantic and, and uh, really around the country uh, listening uh, with streaming or, or the podcast and whatnot. There's a lot of uh, uh, backstory obviously, to this vaccine. You know, we hear about uh, Operation Warp Speed and just the phenomenal pace that this uh, vaccine was created uh, by. Uh, But if you will, just give our listeners an overview of why you wanted to write this book and just how enlightening it was to you. Sure. So I wrote A Shot to Save the World because these vaccines are really modern science's greatest Achievement, but you could also say it's it's modern finance's greatest achievement. I mean, they worked hands in hand. It was a remarkable collaboration. I talk about investors, entrepreneurs, venture capital firms who wrote huge checks when these companies were down and out. I mean, even as recently as May of 2020, Moderna was struggling, didn't have financing, couldn't get the money from anywhere. The government, nonprofits, Merck, etc., and had to turn to Wall Street. So it is the greatest kind of financial and scientific story of our time. And what I did is take a step back and take a look at the evolution of these approaches. And they're really remarkable. There's a lot of drama behind the scenes and interesting, to me, fascinating scientists, investors, um, risk takers, often American, often immigrants. It was a fascinating story. Yeah, it definitely. And I think it's really cool that uh, you got to peek behind the curtain and, and get that that inside look at what was going on. So we've had some other folks on over the past uh, year and a half or so talking about uh, this subject matter, of course. And one of the things was the uh, mRNA and um, what that's going to do. Well, what it did for the vaccine uh, but also what it's been doing for the last five or 10 years with other medicine and what that uh, means for people, not just uh, that have COVID or get COVID, but uh, in other areas as well, right? Yeah, this is a revolution. It's going to affect us going forward. So mRNA is a molecule. We have it in our bodies. Uh, it cha- transports uh, the instructions from the DNA to the part of the cell where proteins are created. We need them all. And scientists always dreamed of creating mRNA in the lab because if you can create uh, this messenger RNA and inject it in the body as part of a drug or, or a vaccine, you can give, you can instruct the body in any way to create any kind of protein. In other words, create a vaccine factory in your own body. And that was the dream. That was the goal. And for years, the scientists tried and failed. And the experts said, don't waste your time. And my book is really about some persistent, resilient researchers who said, we're going to ignore the skepticism. We're going to ignore the conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom is that this, this, this mRNA just disappears too quickly. It's really unstable. And for all those people that are worried about injecting it in your body, and there's a lot of that worry, the irony is that they're worried because they think it's going to affect their DNA. It doesn't. It gets chopped up so quickly, people didn't even want to use it for years. So my book is really about the small and fascinating to me and anyway um breakthroughs along the way the interesting characters who overcame all the skepticism and and yeah going forward I mean, they're applying it to diseases illnesses everything from malaria and cancer and ms um all kinds of different diseases i'm excited to see what happens in the future yeah for sure so one of the things we heard about uh from the last administration president trump uh actually used 
the phrase that it was the biggest bet that he'd ever made in his life. And obviously he was making this bet or spending money and it wasn't his, it was ours, the American taxpayer. Uh, But he really believed that, like you said, uh, the government along with the private sector uh, in getting involved in this together um, with the money that they needed, they were going to be able to get results uh, sooner rather than later. That was the hope. And that ended up to be, exactly how uh, it all played out. So um, what kind of uh, insight did you get from that, again, from the big bet that the government made with uh, hundreds of billions of dollars? Yeah, so the government made a big bet, as you say. They bet on a few different approaches, mRNA. There were two companies, the BioNTech-Pfizer approach, the Moderna approach. But they also bet on another approach called the adenovirus approach, which has its own fascinating history that I get into in the book. It goes back to HIV, and for years they were unsuccessful, and they kept improving on it, and people weren't aware of the small breakthroughs being taken. They were happening in little in little places, little companies often in Maryland and Massachusetts, and a scientist in, in Wisconsin I write about, and that eventually led, though, to the J&J approach, which is also an effective vaccine. And yet the Trump administration wrote big checks. It wasn't clear if they were going to work out, and all those bets have really been successful. Yeah, as like you said, these companies were saved on the private side with venture capitalists, private equity, et cetera, over and probably just good old family money, um, you know, over time. And if that hadn't happened, then potentially we wouldn't have had uh, we would have had, I'm sure, some type of uh, drug, but not as many different options that we see now. Oh, I don't think we appreciate the miracle of these vaccines. Um, if, if the virus had emerged a few years ago, we weren't ready. These scientists had been working and improving and honing their approaches, but they just weren't ready until the end of 2019. At that point, they thought they had the right approach. They were waiting for a big test, and this is what uh, arose, and it was a big test, and they passed the test. But we need to be very grateful. Um, A few years early, we wouldn't have been ready. And to me, it's even fascinating that it wasn't even clear that early in 2020, whether there would be a vaccine developed within years, let alone within the year. I mean, the average vaccine takes 10 years. So the fact that this took 330 days from the time the sequence, the genetic sequence of this virus was released until when we had an authorized vaccine, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And the story is much more dramatic and, and surprising than I'd expected when I started writing the book. And it sounds like, you know, I know people um, and everybody's definitely um, you can have your own opinion, folks. You know that with me, you know, whether you get vaccinated, you don't get vaccinated or whether you believe in whatever or don't. But one thing that I, I tended to to appreciate was not only how quickly Uh, This was done for the people that did want it, i.e. and need it, too, for those uh, that were vulnerable. But also, Greg, it was that no, at least not that I can see, you can answer this better, no uh, steps were skipped with FDA approval. So in other words, even though it came to be very quickly, it wasn't like, you know, we were kind of turning our heads and not paying attention to certain things at the FDA. Uh, It seemed to go along a normal track. Is that right? That's a really good point that needs to be emphasized that, yes, these vaccines were developed in record time. But first of all, my research is really reassuring for me as a citizen, as a consumer of these kind of things, as a father, because uh, it took years to get the get it right. Um, and we didn't realize the work that was going on throughout the country, throughout the world on these approaches over the years. 
but it did take years. So, yes, they arose quickly. They put them together quickly after the virus emerged, but it was thanks to all the work over the years. But also, as you say, they didn't cut corners last year in terms of testing. So what they did was, for the first time ever, they did things simultaneously. They developed, they tested, and they manufactured. You never before were able to manufacture vaccines before they were approved. Why would you do that? It's billions of dollars that could be wasted. Well, in this case, there was money, both from the government, from investors, others, um, non-government bodies, so that they could take the chance on manufacturing vaccines ahead of time. But people should be reassured. I was reassured doing the research that they weren't quickly done, these vaccines. They were done in the appropriate speed, and they're safe and effective. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're going to talk more about uh, the new book, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine with our guest, Mr. Greg Zuckerman. And uh, we'll dive into that on the other side of this break. My buddies think I'm on the lake. Boss thinks I've been sick for days. And mama's probably on her way because I ain't picked up the phone. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also as a podcast, go to uh, Apple Podcast. And uh, thanks so much for everybody being with us uh, this weekend. I appreciate it. Uh, Real good conversation rolling along with my guest this morning, uh, Mr. Greg Zuckerman. He is a special writer at the Wall Street Journal where he writes about business, uh, economics, investing. Uh, He's a three-time winner of the Gerald Loeb Award, the highest honor in business journalism. Uh, You've seen him, I'm sure, on TV, heard him on radio, read his stuff. Uh, Like I said, he's a friend of the program. He's been here a couple times with other great pieces uh, that he's uh, that he's authored. This in particular is his latest work, obviously very timely, A Shot to Save the World, the life story of the life or the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. And I couldn't help but think, um, Greg, during the break, like when you talked about all of the failures for years and years, it's almost like the Thomas Edison thing that, thank God, these people just put their shoulder to the wheel and continued, even though they had to feel so dejected because of all of these failures. Yeah, I have to say, it's uh, a book about science. It's a book about business as well. But I learned a lot of life lessons. And just, I was inspired by these people. They're um, resilient. They're stubborn. They believe in themselves when everyone's telling them to give up. Um, And yeah, they um, worked without a claim. And and frankly, they go into these labs and they make incremental progress on a daily basis, if that. And then sometimes they hit dead ends. And to have that kind of perseverance, I personally find really admirable, and I I learned a lot from them. Yeah, definitely. So you talk about, you mentioned when we first started speaking, you used the word drama. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of big personalities involved in this. Um, So give us uh, some insight as to the players that uh, we may not have heard of um, and what they were like. Sure. So this CEO of of Moderna uh, named Stefan Bansell, He's an interesting, um, can be difficult boss. Um, he inspires people, but he also pushes his people. At the early, early in the stage, uh, early when Moderna was started, uh, about 2011 or so, 
people were collapsing at their desks, uh, in the parking lots, at home, hitting their heads, rushing to the hospital. Literally. Literally, because they were trying to keep up with him, and he was pushing them hard. And he, in his view, in his defense, he said, guys, we have a way to change the world. Someday, he literally said this to his employees, someday there's going to be some sort of pandemic or crisis, and we're going to be the ones to step up. And everyone dismissed him. Not only that, they, they were there were suspicions about him. They thought he was another Elizabeth Holmes, that he was exaggerating. He was really good at raising money, but to some people in the world of science, that was a red flag. He also wore the same kind of black turtlenecks of Elizabeth Holmes did, and the Steve Jobs inspired one. That got him nervous. He's a very um, divisive guy, um, but in his defense, he thought he was onto something, and they're a very secretive firm, or they always had been, and once again, in his defense, they didn't want their competition to know what they were doing. So there were all these suspicions going into 2020. So for Stefan Bentel and McDermott to be the ones to save lives, literally millions of lives, in some ways it's surprising and it's fascinating. It wasn't the vaccine giants. You would have thought like Merck and GSK and Sanofi, they're the vaccine giants. It wasn't. It was a Moderna and this company in Germany named BioNTech. So I found it, the drama quite surprising. Yeah, and, and again, uh, BioNTech, like you said, uh, over in Germany, uh, the German citizens also took a big bet on all this. If I remember correctly, they invested some $600 million uh, into that company to help with uh, development. So like you were uh, informing us earlier, this was really broad based from government and uh, the private sector, et cetera. So, um, and it, what it's stuck in my mind, like you also mentioned, if we, if this would have happened in 2018, 2019, we wouldn't have been ready or as ready. And there would have been, it would have been catastrophic with the additional souls that would have been lost. Yeah, we take these vaccines for granted, but even, even the spring of 2020, Uber Sahin, the quirky, odd uh, scientist who runs beyond tech. He doesn't own a car. He bikes to work still, even though he's a billionaire. He doesn't own a television, lives in a little apartment. He was convinced this was going to be a pandemic, and he called up Pfizer, and he, you know, a top scientist there. And the scientist said, yeah, I don't think so. Remember what happened with MERS, what happened with SARS. Those were coronaviruses that petered out. Don't waste too much time on this thing. Luckily, Sahin got to a different person at Pfizer. Eventually, they formed a partnership. But once again, it could have gone in so many different directions, and um, it, it, there was a really good possibility that we would not have had these effective, protective vaccines. So we need to be uh, grateful for them. Yeah, definitely. And folks, I, I can't encourage you enough to, uh, to to grab this book, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. It's uh, written by Greg Zuckerman, uh, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, The Man Who Solved the Market, which uh, he was on our program before to talk about that. And previous to that, The Frackers, uh, just great uh, journalism, great investigative work. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff you want to read, not a lot of the garbage out there that's being uh, expelled, you know, that everybody thinks they know what was going on. This is uh, behind the curtain looking at and and, uh, Greg talking with, you know, the the different companies, uh, corporate officers and, and all the people involved. Greg, what's the best way to get your book for those that are interested? I would go to Amazon or a local bookstore, and I encourage people to reach out to me. Tell me what you think. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm an email. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm no expert, but I talk to the scientists. I, 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 my set, what I set out to do with this book is talk to the people that create these vaccines. And 
it was reassuring. They're not political in nature. They're not. There's they're some Republicans, there's some Democrats, there's some independents. They were just very focused on the science. You could say focused on getting fame and fortune as well, which is fine too, as long as they create effective, uh, uh, protective vaccines. So yeah, I'd love to hear from people, and um, I hope they enjoy the book. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if this is uh, something that uh, was done uh, collectively from all walks of life. And uh, it's just great to see, you know, how uh, capitalism can work with elected officials and, you know, get these things pushed through. So, again, congratulations. uh, Fantastic book. uh, Best of luck to you. And I look forward to uh, the work that you do in the future. Oh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, thank you for your audience as well. All right, Greg. Thanks. Appreciate it again, folks. uh, It's uh, the title of the book is A Shot to Save the World the inside story of the life-or-death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Gregory Zuckerman is the author. He's been our guest this morning, uh, friend of the program, always has good quality stuff that he puts together. You know, like I said, he had that great book on fracking. He had the great book on the market, the man who uh, solved the market, talking about the technology, and uh, just very uh, accurate, honest um, educational type perspective. And this is no different. So go to amazon.com or go to your local bookstore. Uh, again, uh, Greg Zuckerman, and it's a shot to save the world. Uh, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. So there's not many silver linings from the virus because of uh, all the souls it took and the damage that it did to uh, people and families and businesses and just you know, how it ravaged uh, economies um, and people around the world. So um, it's one of those things that you have to look for a silver lining every now and then. And again, by this type of progress being made in the uh, world of medicine, I think this is going to be helpful down the road in certain ways because of that mRNA and uh, what they uh, basically just turned into, you know, overdrive to get these things done. So uh, check that out. We'll talk with you on the Morning uh, News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. Live updates at 550, Um Our latest takeaway for you, inflation and your retirement. Gosh, is inflation just tearing people up or what? Especially if they haven't considered what it's doing to their retirement plan and are their assets situated properly to keep up with or hopefully outpace retirement. Otherwise, you're you're losing ground. So uh, check that out. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's on the homepage. Uh, it's uh, just a click. It's a complimentary instant download to your email. Uh, inflation in your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? We'll see you here uh, next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. Actually, it's a 24-year anniversary. So looking forward to that. And uh, looking forward to being back here with you. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. I don't always wake up in the morning, pour myself a stone. Oh, but when I get lonely, I do. Your memory gets the burning, lean back on the bourbon. So as hell can't keep blaming on you. Looks like I'm learning the hard way again. It's all my fault. Yeah, I dropped the ball.
past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.